Og lige nu her på DR1 sidder Tine Goethe klar til at præsentere TV-avisen. Did you know that there's free Wi-Fi everywhere in Estonia? Or that you can change your name for 70 euros in Latvia if you don't like yours? And apparently in Lithuania you will find the highest number of hot air balloons per person. You didn't? Oh, well, never mind. But I'm sure you all know this. Each of these countries belong to the so-called Baltics. Hello everybody and welcome to Planet Mundus. My name is Kim Schönrock and as you might have sensed by now, I will be talking to you about the Baltic states. It's been roughly 25 years since the Baltic states got their independence back and today we are celebrating that. Their development has been colossal with growth rates at times almost equaling that of China. But the economic crisis and the re-emergence of revengeous Russia has changed that positive narrative. We will take a closer look into the development of the countries and the challenges they face today. I'm happy to be joined in the studio by Gabriel Getvelaiti and Marilyn Ita from Lithuania and Estonia. Would you to mind uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Maybe we start with you Gabrielle as far as I know you're a true independence baby uh, yeah that's correct so hi everybody my name is Gabrielle and I come from Lithuania and uh, uh, yeah Lithuania gained its independence in the in 1990 and this is actually the year that I was born I was born uh, a few months later so yeah I'm a true independent independence child we're nice. both celebrating 25 years this year awesome what about you Marilyn Hi, I'm Marilyn. I'm from Estonia and um, I was born a bit later after we ga- regained our independence about a year later. Um, so, All right. Before we hear a little bit more from you, let's test the Danes and their knowledge about their countries. Daphne Henning went out on the streets of Aarhus to ask... What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Estonia and Lithuania? That's really tricky. I think um, holidays, labor, workers. Water, a ferry and far away from Denmark. Truck drivers in, in, in Denmark. Eastern Europe. Yeah, I think it's the architecture and it being such a like small countries. Balkan countries and um, cold and um, Russia and those stuff. Mm, I think it's cold. In comparison to Denmark, probably cheap labor. Now, if you were to put them in geographical order, which one would be on top? Estonia or Lithuania? Oops, I think it's Lithuania. Estonia? Estonia is on top. Lithuania. Wow, that's a hard question. Lithuania, I think. I think Lithuania is. I think Estonian. I know it's more horizontal, and I think Lithuania is more close to Denmark, for example. So I would say it's Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. I saw a lot of laughing there, a lot of surprise in your faces. Is that what you've expected? Yeah, more or less, because I guess, like at least for me, like whenever I go abroad uh, to other countries, uh, there's always I see this confusion in people's faces that you know. Which one is Lithuania? Which one is Latvia? Which one is Estonia? And they they often don't make any difference for I don't know which which of them is which. So yeah, I completely agree with like more or less the impressions that we heard in the report. When somebody said Baltic countries, judging your facial expressions, you were not that happy about it. No, they said Balkan countries. Balkan. Oh, Balkan. Oh, that's true. I thought they said Baltic. I still think that. 
many, many people around the world consider you basically all the same. Like, how does that make you feel? Well, if I look at it from the Estonian perspective, then we've never been really glad about that label that we've gotten from the rest of the world because we don't really see us ourselves as one big union. Of course, we have some similarities regarding our history and where we came from. But on the other hand, our cultures are really different. So, yeah, I wouldn't really say that in Estonia we say a lot that, oh, we're from from the Baltics, we never do that. Yeah, I agree. I guess it's just like more like uh, geogra- geography that m- brings us more like maybe closer and also like same historical experience. But other than that, we have like completely different languages, completely different, I don't know, like very old historical development. So yeah, I guess it's just like recent events since the collapse of the Soviet Union that people started like matching the Baltic countries all together somehow. So you could not actually talk to one another in the same language right now? Or like you in your language, you in your language, you wouldn't understand a word? No, no. <laughs> absolutely nothing. <laughs> all right, so I, I feel that there's not as much brotherly love between you two or sisterly love that I would have expected. <laughs> what kind of prejudices do you have against each other? Uh, I don't think in Estonia we have anything with Lithuanians. We have a lot with uh, Latvians. Like uh, what? A few, uh, j- there are just some jokes that you know neighboring countries do with each other, but um, we really don't talk much about Lithuanians. Or like I could say that a, an average Estonian doesn't know much about a Lithuanian person. Yeah, which is it's funny because when talking about prejudice, I don't know how come or and where does it come from. But in Lithuania, we have even some kind of e- expression saying uh, "as slow as an Estonian." Uh, that, Sorry, that I've, I've heard actually. Yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> that we're apparently really slow people. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know where does that come from actually. So, but yeah, other than that, I guess it's just like we are more like you know, yeah, we're like on the same side of the Baltic Sea. We are kind of you know those free Baltic sisters, brothers, whatever, that, you know, stood in the Baltic way in the 90s, like, uh, before, yeah, before the 90s. So it's just like, I guess it's just like the historical thing that brought us together because, like, we are small nations, so, yeah, but other than that, I cannot think about anything else, actually. (laughs) All right. Well, even though you two are not exactly fitting my rose-colored Baltic love picture here, your two countries still, as you just said, have a lot of things in common. And for once, at least, both of your countries were occupied by the Soviet Union and uh, regained independence in the early 1990s. Um, We wanted to know what it actually means for a country to start again from scratch. So we sent out our correspondent, Ching Li, to interview Baltic expert Lars Johansson from Aarhus University on exactly that matter. This is Planet Mondas. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, my name is Lars Johansson. I'm an associated professor at the political science department at Aarhus University. And I have worked with, in and about the Baltic states for most of my career. And they've always uh, been in my interest. Mm, nice. So my question is, when they regained the independence in 1991, what were the conditions of the three Baltic states? Well, economically, they were in disarray. Part of it, of course, related to the collapse of the planned economy. Then adding further to this disarray was the cost of changing from one economic system to another, the transition itself. In 1992... GDP collapsed by almost 50% in the Baltic states. 
half of all livestock in Lithuania were slaughtered because they couldn't get anything for them. Agriculture had dropped. Everything, more or less, was in free fall. And when they were getting their own economies, the transition to new currencies also meant more inflation. So it was just plainly a big mess where those who were elderly, who had few in their family they could rely on or were alone, you know, suffered the most because inflation took out most of their pensions and they couldn't afford you know, the new market prices for bread, milk or butter or anything like that. So they were really, really vulnerable at that time. And we saw, not in a large scale, but we actually saw people moving from the cities to the countryside, which is normal when you have an economic crisis of this format, because you can always grow a little plot of land on your own on the countryside and thereby sustain yourself. This has later changed. But at that time, they were in such a disarray. Politically, what you have to consider is that the Baltic states, for their independence, was a movement which struck very, very deep in society. Then once independence is achieved, you need to establish a normal political system. So if you take the whole beginning of it, politically, they're in a disarray, and economically, they're in a disarray. But there's one thing going for them. They wanted this, and they knew what they wanted. They wanted to get back to Europe, and they wanted democracy, and they wanted to get away from the Soviet Union. It is this drive, and they're willing to sacrifice to get independence and to get back to Europe. That was their main capital at that time. So how about conditions of the integration into international system? Well, at the time where they're part of the Soviet Union, they're not really well integrated because then they're just a republic within the federation of Soviet socialist republics, right? For those two organizations that matters the most for the Baltic states, I don't think at the time when they got independence, they really thought that they would get into the European Union and NATO. It was not something you discussed in the early 90s. That only came by the middle of the 90s. And the fact that the three Baltic states alone of all the former Soviet Union countries have achieved to get into the European Union and NATO tells you something about the remarkable success in reorientating their economies and their political systems back to Europe again. I have the highest respect for people who have fought and sacrificed so much for independence. Ching Li for Planet Mundus. Tama on Planet Mundus. Thanks for that, Ching. Uh, Marilyn, can you remember any stories that your parents would tell you about the Soviet times? Yes, I definitely remember a lot of uh, really ridiculous stories from that uh, time, uh, especially one from uh, when my dad was going to the university, which was around 40 years ago now, and uh, he had to uh, uh, take courses in, uh, in addition to the normal courses of what he studied. He also had to study about the Soviet uh, Um, leaders and uh, their space program and just uh, everything about how an amazing union it is. But uh, on the other hand, the professors who had to take the tests uh, in these courses uh, were also Estonian and therefore opposing the re- regime. And therefore, when my dad went to take the test in it, then he just told about what he had just had for breakfast or what he did uh, last <laughs> night. And the professors couldn't care less and they just gave everyone the best grades. And No matter the subject. Had, exactly. I just had scrambled eggs in the morning. Yeah. 
Nice. Because everyone knew it's just uh, one ridiculous thing that is enforced upon them. So, <laughs> nice. I'm wondering, what is it like to grow up in a country like you were growing up, and while you were growing up, your country was basically busy growing up itself. Did you feel any changes around yourself, Gabriel? Uh, yeah, definitely. You well, I mean, I don't remember much from like my very early childhood. Well, I guess, when I guess most of the things were happening, but yeah, I remember some you know changes that when I was like uh, five or six years old, we didn't have supermarkets where you can just go and pick your things from the shelves. You would just go to the shop where there is a lady behind the counter, and you would say, "I would like one liter of milk. I would like this and that," and then you would get that. So of course, like within the time like all this westernization western culture came and you know it changed like when when i think about okay my hometown is the fourth biggest city in the country and uh, the mcdonald's opened there only i think three years ago really <laughs> and we opened like such stores as h&m only like last year you know so i mean it's really even though we are already like in eu and nato and we think that okay we are very european whatever but still there are parts you know that were a bit untouched by all these things so it's funny yeah that is fine well lithuania was actually the first of the baltics to declare independence 25 years ago and estonia followed suit as you just told us now these three little countries are back on the international stage and according to freedom house they are the only former soviet republics that developed into stable democracies freya erickson and john anger draws a picture of this stunning development the Baltics, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Three average European countries of about one, two and three million people. That's just about six million, even if you add them all together. But small nation states like the Baltics make up more than half of Europe. And interestingly, the Baltics economic development has been quite extraordinary lately. Anyway, on a world map, you can find them spooning right below the Gulf of Finland, along the western border of Russia. Geographically, they are close. Historically, too, they have a lot in common. For much of their history, the Baltics have been under a number of thumbs. After a short stint of independence between the two world wars, they were swallowed by the Soviets, then occupied by Nazi Germany, before finally settling back into the grasp of the Soviet Union, bound by the grip of communism. But then, listen to this. tunes of the singing revolution that eventually led to the Baltic's independence 25 years ago. Fed up with the lack of self-determination and Soviet domination, the Estonian people started singing for freedom in 1987 and only stopped four years later. In 89, two million people formed a human chain of 600 kilometers from the northern coast of Estonia through Latvia and way down to Vilnius, Lithuania, also known as the Baltic Way. Singing and holding hands very pacifistic and idyllic. But since gaining independence in 1991, the Baltic Way has found another meaning. The three countries have undergone immense developments, turning from socialist to capitalist in their own Baltic Way. Being little, the Baltics were left with no institutions after the collapse of the Soviet Union. They started from scratch and embraced Western liberal capitalism like an old friend. Before long, all three showed astonishing growth rates. Socialism faded into all but a distant memory. With newfound economic flexibility, the Baltics grasped the telecommunication revolution of the 1990s and 2000s. Estonia, for example, now has free Wi-Fi across much of the country. This said, 
The financial crisis hit the three Baltic states hard. In the aftermath, their economy shrank by as much as 25%. But once again, the Baltics proved their resilience by resuming strong export and economic growth, as well as cutting unemployment. The Economist affectionately labelled them the bouncy trio. Fed up with years of occupation by the Soviet Empire, independence marked an opportunity for the Baltics to carve out their own identity. Without hesitation, all three looked westward, not only economically, but politically and socially. This soon paved the way for the Baltic states to join the EU and the Euro. More controversially for Russia, however, all three are fully paid up members of the military alliance NATO. But the Baltics still face significant challenges. With the exception of Lithuania, they continue to have large, unassimilated Russian populations. Their location also lands them between a rock and a hard place, between the might of the old motherland and the expanding reach of the European Union. Some in the West argue that the Baltics could be the next domino to fall in the face of renewed Russian expansionism. The financial crisis also showed just how vulnerable export-dominated small countries can be in a globalised economic system. For three small, insignificant countries, the Baltics have truly punched above their weight over the last 25 years. Will they keep rolling the punches or end up on the ropes? Back to the studio to find out. Esto es Planet Mundus. Thanks, Rani and John, for that summary. Uh, we just heard that the economists labeled your countries a bouncy trio, I guess because you always manage to get back on your feet after a crisis. Do you think that this description fits? I would definitely agree. I think uh, when I look at Estonians, so we are the kind that you always work really hard to get where you want to and yeah, never give up and this kind of mentality. So um, I certainly think that it helped a lot um, in the start of the 90s in order to gain our independence and get things going again. All right. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree as well because... Um, uh, I think Lithuanians, they are also not uh, that kind of people who would just, you know, if they are unhappy about uh, some cuts uh, in the economy by government, whatever, uh, they're not that people who would go just to the streets to protest. They would just, you know, live up to that. Like, they would be, okay, we can manage, we will do that. And, you know, life just goes on by, like that. Well, when I'm looking into your countries, I'm certainly impressed by uh, how you developed and how you came out of this occupation. Especially, uh, especially Estonia seems to me to be very up to date. I mean, it's also called E-Estonia sometimes. Can you tell me why that is? Yes, uh, I think we're certainly really proud of our Skype development. Um, and uh, in addition, uh, every Estonian has, uh, every citizen has an ID card with a chip which uh, they can use for all the services on their computer. For example, voting, Every, uh, everyone votes online. And in addition, uh, all the other public services are done through the internet. Also, we don't really get any paper letters, which I see that Denmark still does, that you actually get a physical letter in a post. We, we really don't get those anymore. You would so. always get an email. Yeah, most it's email and just everything is done online. You don't really have to go to an institution. You even told me that you once got a text message from your prime minister. Yes, that was, that was uh, when we had riots uh, in the in Tallinn a couple of years ago, and then uh, we got a text message in order to stay at home and uh, not uh, to go out to the danger. <laughs> it wasn't that dangerous, but yeah, everyone got that. Is that something that you would find in Lithuania as well? 
we have text messages, but definitely we're not so developed in terms of online and IT uh, services in my country. Well, in general, it seems to me that Lis uh, Lithuania is considered a little bit more conservative, right? How yeah, come? maybe, because I think it, it, it could be related to the religion, because we are... I mean, Lithuania is the Catholic uh, country, while Latvia and Estonia is not. So maybe that comes from there. And also we had like a common history with Poland, uh, which also brought a little bit more like these religion things. In terms of like tolerance in general, like uh, we are not very open, let's say, to uh, other people coming to our country. Or I know that, for example, Estonia, they accepted the same sex partnership uh, a law while I think for Lithuania there's still a way to go till then and <laughs> even though we have a very cool president who's she's very liberal and pro-western and everything but even her she's saying that yeah maybe it's not time yet to do that. All right I guess uh, by now we all agree that we can't compare the Baltics for example with uh, Scandinavia because those people actually see, them, uh, see themselves as some sort of a unit. You don't as I sense, at least not as much, probably. So let's have Ching Li and Lars Johansen again, this time talking about the differences of your countries. Talking about the general conditions of the Baltic states, is there much differences between those three countries? Well, there are differences between them. We tend to group them together, which is normally also we say the Baltic mm. states. But um, they have different languages. They certainly have different cultures. Well, the Estonians had a very neoliberal drive. I mean, no trade barriers at all. You know, importing competition, so to say, is good because this will make our industry stronger in the long run. I think one of the most economically free societies in the world at some point. There was even a debate in Estonia whether joining the European Union because the European Union had all these trade and tariff barriers, made perhaps a bit too socialist. In Lithuania, they've more have had this Christian Catholic policy response and labor policy response that you would need to have a continental welfare state to pick up those who fall behind. And a continental welfare state, not a social democratic welfare state, what we could call a Christian democratic welfare state centered around the family as a unit where you pick up. So between Estonia as being very neoliberal, you could argue that uh, Lithuania on the opposite had a more transitory approach. We didn't have to do everything at one time to open the economy because we also needed to protect what we had, make it a little bit more gradual. So in some respects, these values between the two have been poles at the Baltic State with the Latvians, where we tend to find them somewhere in the middle. But they also share a common background from this Soviet system that shaped them for 50 years and some of the challenges that they still have with this. Ching Li for Planet Mundus. Planet Mundus. Thank you, Ching. Uh, one major difference between your countries, as I learned, is the population. In Estonia, 25% of the population is actually Russian. Marilyn, are you afraid that Russia could do the same to your country as they did with the Ukraine? I mean, like arming pro-Russian separatists and take over parts of your country? It definitely is a big discussion right now um, regarding the situation that is in Ukraine. But... Uh, I wouldn't say we are afraid. The Estonians are not scared of Russia in the same way as we used to because we are backed up by NATO and we know that 
this wouldn't happen in Estonia as it did in Ukraine. So you don't see it as a, as a threat, but how does this huge population influence life in Estonia, like this huge Russian population? Well, in a way, it definitely does, because uh, there are some issues with integration. Um, there are a lot of them who haven't managed to learn the language. Of course, the situation is getting better because, uh, for example, we used to have schools uh, that were that you could study only in Russian throughout all your school. But uh, now they have closed those, so everyone has to take their education in Estonia. I think the situation will get better as uh, the next uh, generation will come on. All right. Yeah. But when I uh, when I was looking into other challenges that your two countries might face in the future, I found a report in which it says, and I quote, projections of unremitting demographic decline through 2050 raise questions about their future viability as independent states. What do you say to this? I mean, basically, you two are kind of part of the problem leaving your country. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, you know, we're, we don't say that we will never come back. But yeah, actually, emigration is a still is a very huge issue in Lithuania because most of the people, they left the country uh, when the crisis started in 2009, let's say. I know that official statistics says that uh, uh, half a million actually emigrated from Lithuania, which is actually a, a lot of people for such a small nation. But at the same time, I know that some people came back and some people are planning to come back and uh, also they sent a lot of money from abroad to Lithuania which is okay maybe it's not the same as you know people leaving the country but it's still not that not that bad you know so yeah we are definitely concerned but a lot of like big markets big big companies are actually entering the entering Lithuania now so you know they are creating more jobs and more opportunities and more possibilities for people who maybe emigrated because they did not find it here in, in Lithuania. What about you personally? Can you imagine to to go back to Estonia? Yes, I definitely imagine uh, going back to Estonia and living there. Uh, I think there are really good uh, possibilities, especially when you're uh, starting your family and uh, with your kids, because we get uh, uh, welfare benefits from the country. When you get your child, you can stay home for uh, nearly two years and get a full salary. Two years? Years. Yes. Well done. And uh, also, I think that our education system is really good. And therefore, I would really like maybe my kids to grow up there. All right. Nice. Yeah, me too. I actually also think that one day I will come back to Lithuania. It's just that the reason that I, I moved is because, you know, we are now a part of EU. We can move anywhere in, in, in Europe, basically, which, for example, my parents didn't have a chance to. So I'm, I'm just enjoying, you know, like living abroad, studying, getting new experiences. And I really wish to bring all these experiences back one day to my country. What kind of future are you wishing for for your two countries? Where would you like? Where would you like to see your countries? What should happen? Um, I would say that uh, the direction that we have been going is a, a very good direction, and uh, uh, yeah, we are definitely modernizing, westernizing, and whatever all these like fancy political terms. But uh, yeah, I, I I think that this is the right way, and we are going the right way, like together with all the let's say European nations, Western European nations. So. I really like that and I hope that we keep on going like that. Yeah, I also agree. I think uh, Estonia is also doing well in this term. But on the other hand, we also have problems just as Lithuania with immigration. So I hope there will be some solutions to that. Great. Let's close with this. Uh, thank you too for being here today. 
thank you. Thank you for inviting. <laughs> Great. And now, Planet Mundus would not be Planet Mundus without our personal house comedian Jan Willems. Jan, the mic is yours. Assalamu alaikum. Planet Mundus. Dear Estonians, Latvians and Lithuanians, I am proud of you. We touched briefly upon the hot topic of Russia in today's episode, and I must congratulate you. You do keep your calm very well, considering your neighbor to the east. And, of course, there's nothing to fear. We are all out of harm's way, thanks to the intricate framework of severing nation-states founded in Putin. Ha! Did I scare you? No? Not really? Well, of course not. Why would I? Mother Russia might be the nation-state version of the hungry, hungry hippo lately, but that doesn't mean they wouldn't nex their countries just like that. I mean, we live in the 21st century, and we're all adults, sane and capable of Russia! A little bit scared? Yes? Well, to be honest, I didn't expect much else. We here in the West are terrified. That's actually why our support for you looks so meager when it comes to Russia. But rejoice, people of the Baltics. This is about to change. Because where NATO shies away, there is an undisputed super team of potent nation-states. Scandinavia. Recently, the secretaries of defense of Norway, Iceland, Denmark, Sweden and Finland issued a joint statement assuring the Baltics of their undaunted support. What support that is, you ask? Well, a lot. Like, uh, for example, um, here, take this. Norway, Rakfisk. Masqueraded as a Norwegian delicacy, the fermented, some say rotten, fish that burns violently in the nose is actually prohibited by the Chemical Weapons Convention. Tactically placed around the Baltics, this keeps Putin out for sure. Or, as a matter of fact, anything that possesses a sense of smell. Iceland, Björk. You like what you hear? No? Of course not. No one does. What you just heard was Icelandic pop star Björk with a, for her standards, real crowd pleaser. Needless to say that this audio terror can and will be the centerpiece of a sonic defense artillery in case Russia gets too greedy. Denmark. Licorice. Gourmets knew it all along. The black, strong and sticky paste is not in the slightest the harmless distillate of a root. It is the byproduct of the three supposedly decommissioned nuclear reactors of Denmark alleged sightings of an unholy mixture of vanilla ice cream and licorice hint at a test run for a possible use in Siberia. Sweden. Ikea. Deep in the woods of Sweden, hidden in the underground catacombs of its research facilities, Ikea is set to develop a line of do-it-yourself tanks. Though, recently the project might have been set back. Apparently not even Ikea's own engineers understand the instruction guides anymore. But as soon as these minor issues are solved, one can easily imagine an army of tanks named Billy and Puslingor patrolling the borderlands between Estonia and Russia. And finally, Finland. Santa. Santa Claus is coming to town. Given that Russian President Vladimir Putin is eventually just a big child, Finland might have the strongest weapon to support the Baltics. Let the Russians taste their own medicine. When Putin closes the gas tap for the Baltics the next time, the Finnish Prime Minister simply stops Santa Claus on his way to Russia. You see? This true defense super team can't be stopped. I mean, I know, this doesn't sound exactly like the Avengers from Marvel, but... But... Uh... Uh... Well, let's just keep it like that. It's not the Avengers. But you can't be too picky. Anyway, 
what I want to say is that Russia... Sorry. Promise I won't do it again. This is Jan Willems for Planet Mundus. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. C'est Radio Mundus. Thanks, Jan. That was great. That's the end of today's shows. Thanks a lot to our guests, Gabrielle and Marilyn, for helping us to understand the phenomenon that's called the Baltics, which I had to learn is apparently more a construct put onto those countries due to geography and history than a matter of identity. Thanks also to the entire team of Planet Mundus. Today's show was produced by Ole Krogsgaard. Technical producer was Nihal El-Sharif. And my name is Kim Schönrock, but before I let you go, I have one more thing. I guess by now you all know that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or YouTube and that you find all our episodes on our website, planetmundus.com or your preferred podcast app. But you know what would really make my day? Write us a review on iTunes and rate us there. We'd love to climb that ranking ladder in that store just a teeny tiny little bit. And your review would really help. That's it from Planet Mundus. We wish you a great day. Just...